From St. Luke's Gospel, Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, You have said so. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. Happy Palm Sunday. Everybody loves Palm Sunday. Uh, I remember as a kid, I loved Palm Sunday because it was one of the three times of the year that we went to church, Christmas, Easter, and Palm Sunday. Uh, People were always surprised to find out that I didn't actually grow up in a religious household. But one thing I loved about Palm Sunday was that my brother and I, my little brother Jimmy, who's still kind of a pain in the neck, but I love him anyway, uh, my mom, I would sit here, my mom would be there, Jimmy would be there, my dad would be there, and I got very good at reaching around with the palm and getting him on this side of the head with his ear, and he would turn around and go, ah! My mom would smack him, and I would feel, I would feel vindicated. But, you know, here's the funny thing. As I got older, and I began to really explore Christianity with a little more maturity and a little more uh, manliness, you might say, I began to realize that Christianity is a lot more profound than I thought. And in fact, you might not know this, but Palm Sunday, this, these little contraptions in church are kind of a new thing. Historically, this day was always called Passion Sunday. And Passion Sunday has nothing to do with palms, really. It's got to do with what Father Gritter just read, which is the story of the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I began to explore Christianity as a a grown man, well, as a young man, 23 or so. And I realized that Jesus is a lot more profound and a lot more uh, mind-blowing, and I would even say a little more terrifying than I had originally thought. I mean, if you take uh, take your kitty brain out and put your adult brain on for a minute, right, it's actually kind of obvious, and here's what I mean. Jesus was crucified. And we all know that, but crucifixion, you might not know, was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was a form of Roman deterrence. The Romans were very good at two things, building stuff and killing people. So the Romans were very good at keeping the peace at the edge of the sword. And one of the ways they would do this is through crucifixion. It would take ordinarily days to die as a crucified person. And crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. Political saboteurs, murderers, terrorists. In fact, that's why Barabbas, Barabbas, the other, the mean guy in the story, what's he on the stake for? He's about to be crucified. Why? For, for, uh, insu- uh, for sedition and murder. So the point you have to ask yourself the question is why was Jesus crucified? And the reason this kind of clicked for me one day when I got older is most people have this conception of Jesus as, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. A Jesus with a long, flowy dress and rooty cheeks, you know? Guy who never offends anybody, never tells a dirty joke. A guy who never makes anybody upset. Or kind of like Jesus as sort of this first century, ancient Near Eastern Jewish Barney the Dinosaur. But let me ask you a question, and this is obvious if you just stop and think for a moment. Would a milk toast be crucified by the Romans? Why, if Jesus was crucified, there's something which scared the hell out of them about him. 
And there was something about him which scared the Romans and scared the Jews and scared the crowd to the extent they'd rather get him wiped out than deal with what he actually said. So put away this idea of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and let's look at the text of what it really says. Two points today, and this is going to surprise you, but it's true and legit and biblical. Two things. First, who killed Jesus? Who took his life? And secondly, why? You think you know the answer, don't you? Who killed Jesus and why? Well, the first obvious, who killed Jesus? Well, okay, come on, Rodriguez, that's obvious. Well, the most obvious cause, the most proximal cause of his crucifixion is the Roman governor of Judea, a guy by the name of Pontius Pilatus. I've always wondered if you had a Pilates studio and you named it Pontius Pilate Pilates, if that would go, but I don't know. But it's actually a pretty complicated situation. Pontius Pilate is the governor of Judea, and Judea was where the Jews lived, and it's under Roman occupation, kind of like France during World War II. And Pontius Pilatus is sent to Judea to keep the peace. And if you don't know your first century Roman history, the Romans were actually pretty tolerant people, provided you didn't cause a ruckus, raise a tumult, or kill, people, kill each other. The Romans would pretty much leave you alone. Well, Nero, that's another story. But for the most part, the Romans would leave you alone. But the, I want you to look at the t context. So you're Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate also, if you don't know anything about him, Pontius Pilate was kind of like, you know, the, uh, the, the minor leagues in terms of governors. He had been someplace important, made a huge mistake, and they banished him to Judea. Hey, Pilate, you thought that was bad. You're going there. And they sent him to Judea to be the governor to, as a punishment and to prove himself. So Pontius Pilate's got some skin in the game. And we read what's going on here. Here's Pontius Pilate. And Luke tells us that there's Jews coming to Jerusalem from all over the empire. Now, why does that matter? Well, a couple things. Jerusalem is the capital city of the nation of Israel, Right? capital city is where the king, the king lives. The king of the Jews lives in Jerusalem. Hugely significant. And the Jews are coming from all over for the feast of the Passover, which is a feast whereby every year they would get together, the Jews would, and they would celebrate God's victory over the Egyptians and how the Lord had, listen, delivered them from their oppressors. So, here you are, Pontius Pilate, looking out your window, seeing all these crowds coming in, seeing a guy on a donkey, people saying, Hosanna, save us, save us. He's the Messiah. And you're kind of feeling, if you're Pontius Pilate right now, you're feeling a, bit, a little bit like Macron, right, the prime minister of France, where things could, a couple weeks ago, things could have blown up at any moment. If you know, in the French uh, culture not too long ago, it was pretty unstable. So the point I want you to see here, from Pontius Pilate's perspective, is the potential for revolt. Revolution is in the air. You can feel it. Pilate is politically uh, expediently minded. And he knows, man, if I blow this one, I may lose my life. So here comes this guy named Jesus. By the way, the name Jesus, Yahshua in Hebrew, means God saves. And Pilate goes, man, I got a huge problem on my hands. He knows what's coming. He knows the city is ripe for a spark. Bam! And off it goes, and he says, you know what? I bring him in. So they bring Jesus in for an interrogation, and eventually, and we'll get to that in a second, interrogates him. 
He says, you know what, I, I, he tries to dodge the bullet, Pilate does, as a good politician. He's unable to do so, so what does he do? He has him crucified as a matter of political expediency. So you could say, who killed Jesus? You could say, Pontius Pilate, the Romans. There's another option. Or you could blame also the Jewish leaders of the time, the ones were the ones who killed him. And the question is why? Well, if you're Jewish, you know that the Messiah was supposed to come and liberate your people. So you'd think of anybody, the Jews would have welcomed him in. And in fact, they do. And they go to ask him a question and they say, are you the Messiah? Luke 22, verse 67. Jesus of Nazareth, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who's going to deliver us? Here's the mic drop. Ready for this? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You will not believe what I tell you. And if I ask you what you think, you will not answer. Here's the zinger. Then he says, but I'm going to tell you this. From now on, you will see the Son of Man, that's him, seated at the right hand of the power of God. Bam! What he's just done. And you wouldn't pick up on this, but they did. What Jesus does is they go to him, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God? He says, I am not only the Messiah, I am God's Son, God himself. And the, the penalty for claiming to be God was death, punishable by death, blasphemy. And so the Jews orchestrate this maneuver with the Romans to have him killed. So you could say, you could say that the Romans are to blame. You could say that Pontius Pilate took his life. You could say that the Jewish leaders are to blame, that the Jewish leaders took his life. You could say the crowd is to blame. That's us, by the way. That's why we're carrying palms. <laughs> you could say, oh, it was the crowd. They took his life. But none of those answers are accurate. See, here's the thing. The real answer is this. No one, no one took his life. He gave it. And I'll prove it to you. Let me show you something that I just figured out this past week. If you look back to when Jesus says, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says something really weird. You say so. When the Jewish leaders ask him, are you the son of God? Are you claiming to be God himself? Jesus says, you say that I am. That's always bugged me. Has it bugged you? Because you always think to yourself, well, why, would, why is he being so dodgy? I mean, Jesus is not, he's not risk averse. He is a straight shooter, man. He is not afraid to say that before Abraham was, I am. He is not afraid to claim to be God himself. So why is Jesus being so coy, so, so, so cautious, so unafraid to take the helm and go with it? You say so. His answer to both Pilate and to the Jews is neither, listen, 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 this is hugely important. It's neither a yes or a no. It is a, an assertion of authority. Let me give you an example. And you'll see what I mean, clear as a bell. Anybody here ever been to court before? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Unless you're a lawyer, or you watch Judge Judy or Wapner or whatever, and uh, you go to, you've seen it on TV, right? If you're in a court of law, who asks the questions? The judge, if there's a judge, or the prosecutor. The prosecutor asks the questions. Does the defendant, the guy on the stand, ask the questions? No way. 
The judge or the prosecutor, he is the one who asks the questions. Why? Listen, because he has the power. In fact, a defendant would never reply to a question with a question of his own. I mean, picture a scene from Law and Order, which is, I think, in season number 175, right? Older than Moses. And you're watching Law and Order, and the prosecutor says, Mr. Jones, where were you on Friday night when you heard gunshots outside of your apartment window? And Mr. Jones replies, well, Your Honor, what do you think? Take it a bit further, in the ancient Near East for a Jew, to, que- to ask someone a question, to demand an answer, is an assertion of authority. We don't, it doesn't work that way in our culture, but in their culture it did. So for example, when Jesus confronts the Gerasene demoniac, the man with a, possessed by demons, and the, he runs at him and says, I know who you are. And Jesus says, shut up, tell me your name. He says, we are legion. To question somebody is to assert authority over them. So here's my point. When Jesus responds to, the, to, the, to Pilate and the Jewish questions with the question of his own, listen, it is a direct challenge of their authority. What Jesus is saying is, hey, Pilate, hey, pal, you're not in authority here. I am. Hey, Pharisees, you guys put me on the stand. You're not in control here. I am. Friends, no one took Jesus' life from him. You see, he gave it. He said so. He was going to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross and in three days be raised from the dead. He says this. And he does it to pay the price for my sins and for yours, to restore your way, to pay your ticket, to reconcile you and I to God. And if that sounds strange, let me ask you a question. Again, it's obvious when you think about it. Has anyone ever hurt you? Has anyone ever betrayed you? Has anyone ever forsaken you? Has anyone ever talked smack about you? Has anyone ever done something wrong to you, yes or no? The answer, of course, is yes. Where does that, where does that injustice go? Maybe a little more practically, say, say, you, uh, say you get your identity stolen, right, by somebody from somebody, and you find out that someone steals your identity, opens a credit card, and you're on the hook for $100,000. It means you are now in debt for the, to the tune of $100,000, and you go to court, and you say to the judge, and the guy is right there who did it, and you say, Your Honor, this man has stolen $100,000 from me. And the judge says, Oh, come on, man, can't you all just get along? Would that be fair? No. Would it be just? No. Here's my point. Justice demands payment. Justice, goodness, love demands payment. Unless justice and fairness and goodness are just stupid, sentimental fairies and lollipops, then the fact of the matter is someone has to pay for a wrong. Either the wrongdoer or someone else pays that debt in their place. Friends, Jesus, his life was not taken from him. He gave it for you. Isaiah the prophet says, but he was wounded, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, Jesus, 
was the punishment that made us whole, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus says the same thing, greater love has no man than he lays down his life for his friends. Friends, Jesus' life was not taken from him because of Judas' betrayal or Peter's cowardice or Pilate's cruelty. No. Jesus' life was not taken to him by Roman jurisprudence or Jewish political machinations. No. Jesus' life was freely given by him to save you from hell. Because the passion, what we just read, The outward story is really, friends, just that. The outward story. What really took place on that hill outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, what really was occurring, what was really happening was a spiritual battle for the possession of your very soul. To pay your debt, to offer you the gift, and if you should choose it and live accordingly, to set you free, not only in this life, but in the life to come. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who came to earth, who took on human flesh, and gave his life as a ransom for ours, who took the hits that we deserve onto his sinless body to save us from hell in the most amazing act of love in history. Help us, Lord, not to see the passion with pity, but with joy and thankfulness knowing that Christ has died to save us and set us free. Help us to live as women and men whose lives have been changed by the good news. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.